Section 4 of A Study of British Genius by Havelock Ellis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 4 Hereditary and Parentage. The tendency to hereditary and intellectual ability. Inheritance of ability equally frequent through the father and mother. Mental abnormality in the parents. Size of the families to which persons of eminent ability belong. Normal standards of comparison. Genius-producing families tend to be large. Men of ability tend to be the offspring or predominantly boy-producing parents. Women of ability perhaps tend to belong to girl-producing parents. Position in the family of the child of genius. Tendency of men of ability to be youngest or more especially eldest children. The age of the parents of eminent persons at their birth. Tendency to disparity of age in the parents. The hereditary of intellectual genius has been very fully discussed, with special reference to eminent persons by British birth, by Mr. Francis Galton, especially in his hereditary genius. With perhaps even an excess of zeal, for persons of somewhat minor degree of ability have sometimes been taken to account, Mr. Galton has shown that intellectual ability has frequently tended to run in families. If this hereditary tendency is by no means omnipresent, the present data prove conclusively that it is a very real factor. Notwithstanding that the effects of hereditary position have been so far as possible excluded, and that our lists only contain persons of pretty eminent ability, distributed over fifteen centuries, it is yet found that among these 1,030 persons, there are 41 groups, or two or three individuals in each group, who are closely related. The recognized relationships of father and son, the Arnolds, Bacon, and his two sons, the Boyles, the Cannings, the Coleridges, the Copleys, the Grenvilles, the Littons, the Matthews, the Mills, the Pens, the Pitts, the Wellpoles, the Wilberforces, brother and brother, the Herberts, the Lawrences, the Napiers, the Nasmiths, the Newmans, the Scots, the Verres, the Wesleys, the Wordsworths, brother and sister, the Arns, the Carpenters, the Kembles, the Martinos, Rossettis, sister and sister, the Bronts, the relationship between grandchildren and grandparents, between uncles or aunts and nephews or nieces, is best shown in a table. A table is displayed on the page with three columns. For the first column descending, a list of names. Second column, titled Maternal Grandfather. And the third column, Maternal Grandmother. It will be observed that Darwin has a unique distinction of possessing, within the narrow degrees of relationship here recognised, both a paternal and a maternal ancestor of the high degree of eminence required for inclusion in my list. The table just presented is of considerable interest because it helps us to answer the question as to the degree in which genius may be inherited in the female line. A consideration of direct hereditary has no bearing on this question. A man inherits genius from his father more often than from his mother, for the simple reason that genius is rare in women. We reach a juster conclusion if we consider those cases in which the hereditary is one degree removed, and then note whether it is transmitted more often in the male or in the female line. All such cases in my list are included in the table just given, and we are thus enabled to see that, considering the smallness of the numbers with which we are dealing, the sexual petition of the hereditary is as equal as we could possibly hope to expect. A man is just as likely to inherit ability through his mother as through his father. It will be noted that in the case of the four poets included in this table, Don, Sidney, J, Bailey, Beddoes, the hereditary was in every case maternal. This would at first sight seem to confirm the conclusion of Mobius, that a poet's hereditary is from his mother. It must be added, however, that in most of these four cases there was also an unusual degree of ability in the father, while only in one case was the eminent maternal relative a poet. It is held by some that artistic genius is very rarely inherited in any high degree. Thus Max Muller wrote, Autobiography, page 34, It seems almost as if the artistic talent was exhausted by one generation or one individual, and he specially instances of the rarity of eminent musicians who are the children of eminent musicians. The case of the Bucks, being no true exception, since music before J.S. Bach was usually simply a kind of craft. It is true that not a single eminent musical composer, not a large group, be it noted, occurs in the list of related persons given above, but there are representatives of other arts, though not to any notably large extent. It is probable that 
whatever truth lies in the statement that high artistic ability is not inheritable may be reproduced to the larger statement that talent is more inheritable than genius the distinction between genius and talent is however one that is extremely difficult to make and we shall not be concerned with this question in the present volume it is scarcely necessary to remark that in a very large number of cases the pre-eminent persons in our list were nearly related to eminent persons who have not reached the degree of distinction entitling them to appear in the list here an objective test is less easy to apply the test i have adopted is the statement of the national biographers in referring to such relationship the results of an inquiry on this basis distinctly confirm the results already reached as the equal inheritance of intellectual ability on the paternal and maternal sides avoiding any summation of the results until the two lists of intimate relations were finally completed it was found that the numbers on each side were exactly equal on the father's side there were forty-four intellectually eminent relations not including the father himself and an exactly equal number on the mother's side it is scarcely necessary to point out that these numbers do not even approximately represent the total number of eminent relations for relationship to one eminent person often involves relationship to a whole family of eminent persons they merely serve to show that when the eminent near relations of an eminent man are impartially noted such relations are just as often through the mother as through the father i have also noted every case in which it is stated or implied that one or other or both of the parents possessed an unusual amount of intellectual ability by no means necessarily involving any degree whatever of eminence these cases are very numerous and as such ability may often have been displayed in very unobtrusive ways they must frequently have escaped the attention of the natural biographers in one hundred and fifty cases the father showed such ability in eighty-nine cases the mother is noted as of unusual ability or else has been closely related to some person of eminent ability presumed to have transmitted intellectual aptitude whether or not she showed marked signs of such aptitude herself in twenty-one of these cases both the father and the mother probably transmitted intellectual aptitudes over twenty per cent of our one thousand thirty eminent persons have certainly inherited intellectual aptitudes bearing in mind that in many cases the aptitudes of the parents are unknown or have passed unnoticed and that in other cases the natural biographers have failed to record known facts it is not improbable that the proportion of cases in, in which one or other of the parents of our one thousand thirty eminent persons displayed more than average intellectual ability may be at least doubled a more probable estimate of the real frequency of hereditary may be obtained by considering separately the very recent and better known individuals who appear in the supplement of the dictionary of national biography of the eighty-one eminent persons thus incorporated in my list who died while the dictionary was in progress it is found that in the case of thirty-three the father the mother or both are noted as being persons of unusual ability this is equal to a proportion of about forty per cent or the proportion in which on independent grounds i have already suggested as representing the probable amount of inherited ability even for the modern group however we must still suppose the data to be incomplete from another point of view the consideration of this modern group is of interest in the light it throws on the question of hereditary i find that among the thirty-eight able parents of the thirty-three eminent persons who may be supposed to have inherited ability the sexual division comes out as exactly equal that is to say that there are nineteen able persons and nineteen able mothers this would seem to indicate very clearly that although that superlative degree of ability which is commonly termed genius is rare in women yet a more than average degree of ability in the mother is just as important from the point of view of intellectual hereditary as a more than average degree of ability in the father among modern english scientific men galton englishman of science page seventy two has also found that ability is just as likely to be inherited through the female as through the male line among one hundred scientific men on the paternal side he found thirty-four grandfathers and uncles of ability on the maternal side thirty-seven as in my results there would seem to be an excess if any on the maternal side in determining the parents who possessed ability i have taken no note of the cases in which it is merely said that the father or the mother possessed poetic tastes musical tastes etc but only of those cases in which it is clearly stated or implied that there was unusual ability such ability in most cases by no means involved recognized distinction as a matter of fact only one of the eighty-one had a parent of the same degree of eminence as himself i e sufficiently eminent to be included in my list so while the proportion of eminent persons with an able parent approaches one in two the proportion of eminent persons possessing a parent equally distinguished with themselves is only one in eighty-one this proportion of eminent parents is shown not to be very far astray by reference to the whole body of individuals on my list 
among whom there are fifteen possessing a parent of sufficient eminence to be included in the list, or about one in seventy. If we lowered the standard of distinction demanded in the parents, the proportion would of course be raised. It would be interesting to inquire into the moral and emotional qualities, the character of the parents. This, however, is extremely difficult, and I have not attempted it. In a great many cases, the mother was a woman of marked pity, and we are frequently led to infer an unusual degree of character, sometimes on the part of the mother, sometimes of the father. Moral qualities are quite as essential to most kinds of genius as intellectual qualities, and they are, perhaps, even more highly transmissible. They form the basis on which intellectual development may take place, and they may be transmitted by a parent in whom such development has never occurred. The very frequent cases in which men of eminent intellectual ability have declared that they owed everything to their mothers have sometimes been put aside as the expressions of an amiable weakness. It requires some credulity, however, to believe that men of preeminent, or even less than preeminent intellectual acuteness, are unable to estimate the character of their own parents. The frequent sense of adeptness to their mothers expressed by eminent men may be taken as largely due to the feeling that the inheritance of moral or temperamental qualities is an even more massive and important inheritance than definite intellectual aptitudes. Such inheritance coming to intellectual men from their mothers may often be observed, where no definite intellectual aptitudes have been transmitted. It is not, however, of a kind which can well be recorded in biographical dictionaries, now, I have not therefore attempted to estimate its frequency in the group of preeminent persons under consideration. I have, however, attempted to estimate the frequency of one other form of anomaly in the parents besides intellectual ability. The parents of persons of eminent intellectual power may not themselves have been characterized by unusual intellect, but they may have shown mental anomaly by a lack of aptitude for the ordinary social life in which they were placed. In at least 57 cases, or over 5%, we find that the fathers were extravagant, unsuccessful in business, shiftless, idle, drunken, brutal, or otherwise fell into bad habits and neglected their families. In such cases, we may conclude the father has transmitted to his eminent child an inaptness to follow the beaten tracks of life, but he has not transmitted any accompanying aptitude to make new individual tracks. This list could easily be enlarged if we included milder degrees of ineffectiveness. A certain degree of inoffensive eccentricity, recalling Parson Adams, seems to be not very uncommon among the fathers of men of eminent ability and perhaps furnishes a transmissible temperament on which genius may develop it may be noted that six of the nearer do well fathers a very large proportion belong to eminent women this may be simply due to the fact that the new do well father by forcing the daughter to leave home or to provide for the family furnishes a special stimulus to her latent ability in 403 cases, I have been able to ascertain, with a fair degree of certainty, the size of the families to which these persons of eminent ability belong. A more than fair degree of certainty has not been attainable, owing to the loose and inexact way in which the national biographers frequently state the matter. Sometimes we are only told that the subject of the article is the child or the son. This may mean the only child, but it is impossible to accept such a statement as evidence regarding the size of the family, and the number of families with only children may possibly thus have been unduly diminished. Again, the biographers, in a very large number of cases, ignore the daughters, and from this case again, their statements become valueless. In estimating the natality of the families producing children of ability, I have never knowingly reckoned the offspring of previous or subsequent marriages so far as possible. We are only concerned with the fecundity of the two parents of the eminent persons. So far as possible, also, I have reckoned the gross fecundity, i.e. the number of children born, not the number of children surviving. In the case of a large number of eminent men, this gross fertility is known from the inspection of parish registers. In a certain proportion of cases, it is probable, however, that we are only dealing with the surviving children. On the whole, the ascertainable size of the family may almost certainly be said to be under the mark. It is, therefore, the more remarkable that the average size of genius-producing families is found to be larger than that of normal families. The average size of our genius-producing families is 6.5. In order to effect an exact comparison with normal families, I have looked about for some fairly comparable series of figures, and am satisfied that I have found it in the results of an inquiry by Mr. F. Howard Collins concerning 4,390 families. These families furnish an excellent normal standard for comparison. They deal mainly with Anglo-Saxon people in England and America. Of the middle and upper classes, they represent, with probably but very slight errors of record, gross fertility. They are apparently not too recent. 
and they betray little evidence of the artificial limitation of families. The main size of Collins' group of fertile families is found by Pearson to be 4.52 children. This conclusion as to the abnormally large size of the families from which genius tends to spring may be criticised in two directions. It may be argued that there has been no recognition of the possibly larger size of the normal family in the earlier periods, which my list covers. It may be said further that even the size of the modern normal family has been underestimated. It is unnecessary to speculate concerning the average size of the normal family in former days until definite evidence is brought forward, but I may point out that the large size of genes-producing families holds good even when we only take into account the 19th century persons on my list. If, for instance, we consider separately 39 individuals from the supplement to the dictionary concerning whom I have definite data, it is found that the average size of the families is 5.7, and 9 out of the number belong to families containing from 9 to 17 children. I may add that an earlier stage of my inquiry, see Popular Science Monthly, April 1901, page 598, I found that the size of the families from which British men of genius spring was still larger than the present average of 6.5, being nearly 7, 6.96. The reduction in size is due in part, it would seem, to the large number of persons of comparatively minor ability who have since been added, and perhaps in part to a tendency to slightly decreased size among the families from which have spun the quite recent individuals contained in the Dictionary of National Biography. In regard to the correct estimation of the average size of the normal family, it must be said that while my results for British genius-producing families are without doubt distinctly too low on account of the imperfection of the data, Yet every estimate of the average size of the normal family, although found on much more complete data, it was an average decidedly below 6.5. Thus Ansel found the average size of the family counting all children born alive among the English professional classes to be about 5, more precisely, clergy 5.25, legal 5.18, medical 4.82. See Ansel on the rate of mortality and other statistics of families, 1874. Galton found the mean of 204 marriages, 4.65 children. Pearson, the mean of 378 fertile marriages, 4.7 children. A very interesting table is given in Mrs. Henry Sigwick's Health Statistics of Women Students of Cambridge and Oxford and Their Sisters, 1890. Mrs. Sigwick found that these students, 566 in number, belonged to families of which the average size was as high as 6.8 children. It must be said that this result is slightly fortiated by the inclusion of 70 half-brothers and sisters. One is inclined to look upon the result as necessarily presenting the normal average for the families of the class for which these students spring. It must, however, be borne in mind that these figures refer largely to the early days of the higher education of women. We may be fairly certain that a considerable portion of these students were women of unusual intellectual ability, and that in numerous other cases they belonged to families in which the brothers showed high ability. The result, therefore, represents not the average fertility of the professional and other classes which these students spring, but is complicated by the considerable admixture of the special ability-producing group of the population with its high fertility. This interpretation is clearly supported by Mrs. Sedwick's tables. She has presented separately the results of a large group containing the honours students, and we are hereby enabled to discern the notable fact that the honours students belong to decidedly larger families than do the students generally. In students generally, the six children families constitute the largest group. For the honours division, the eight children group is the largest, while very large families are relatively much more frequent among the honours division than among the division of other students. So that, for instance, while among honours students exactly the same number belong to eleven children families as do two children families, among the other students, more than twice as many belong to two children families as to eleven children families. Mr. Sidwitz's results may therefore be said to confirm the results reached in the present investigation. It may be added that the greater fertility which has been shown to mark the families from which British persons of ability in general have sprung has already been shown by Galton to mark the special group of families from which modern British men of science spring. Galton found, English men of science, that the average number of brothers and sisters, excluding for the most part those who died in infancy, was 6.3. This indicates, as we should expect, a decidedly higher fertility than in the families producing the women students, though probably not higher than would have been shown by the British ability-producing families generally, had my data been more complete. 
Yoder, in studying the early lives of fifty eminent men of various nationalities belonging to the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries, A. H. Yoder, Boyhood of Great Men, Pedagogical Seminary, October 1894, found the average number of children in the families from which they sprang, excluding half-brothers and sisters, was six plus. This approximates to the results here reached as regards British eminent men only. It will be seen that the high fertility which we have found among the ability-producing families stands in opposition to the well-known tendency to small families among the higher human races, and to the universal tendency, well marked at the present day, for a falling birth rate to be associated with a rising level of civilization and well-being. Within the same nation also, the families of the poorer classes are larger than those of the richer classes. Thus, in Holland, at the present day, both in town and country, the average number of children per marriage in the poorest class is 5.19 against 4.5 for the rich class. It would, however, be a mistake to suppose that our results can properly be regarded as unexpected. They are, on the contrary, in harmony with all that we know concerning the fertility of the families producing the nervously abnormal classes, which is on the whole decidedly high. Toulouse, Casas de la Folle, 1896, page 91, has summarized the evidence accumulated by Boel and Ries, as well as by Marandon de Montel, showing that the size of the families on which the insane spring is decidedly larger than the usual average. Professor Magri, Li Famigli del Quali Discentono e Delinquenti, Arc di Psychiatria, 1896, Fes 6-7, has further shown that this abnormally great fertility is by no means confined to insanity-producing families, but also characterizes the progenitors of numerous other mentally abnormal groups as he found that criminals in the majority of cases spring from large families, and that although the average size of the normal family in Italy is three or four, it was very rarely possible to find a criminal who belonged to a family of only two or three children. Magri also found that hysteria and neurasthenia are notably frequent in large families. Langdon Down had previously pointed out mental afflictions of childhood, that imbeciles and weak-minded children tend to belong to large families. He found the average number of living children in the families containing idiots to be as high as seven. In Berlin Kassel was lurked the Unterschung der Geistig Minderwinkten Schalkinder, 1901, found that the average size of the families from which defective children spring is over seven. Comparing in more detail the composition of our genius-producing families with the normal average, we obtain the following results. The graph is displayed on the page with two tables, with two rows and eight columns each, displaying the size of the family compared to normal families and genius-producing families. Unless, as is scarcely probable, the mental eccentricities of biographers lead to a very frequent selection of definite lines, it will be seen that in genius-producing families there is an invariable deficiency of families below the average normal size, and a gradually increasing excess of families above that size. In the larger size group over 14, the excess becomes extravagantly large. This, however, may be partially accounted for. Probably the biographers have here less seldom failed to record the size of the family, so this group may have been more carefully recruited from the families of our 1,030 eminent persons. Even on this basis, however, it remains extremely large. Ansel found that in 2,000 marriages there was no family of more than 18 children, and in Denmark it is stated a family of 22 children only occurs once in 34,000 marriages. An interesting point and one which can scarcely be affected at all by any twist in the biographical mind, is the fact that our men of ability, the women, are here excluded, are the offspring of predominantly boy-producing parents. Taking the 180 families in which the number of boys and girls in the family is clearly stated, excluding those 29 in number, which are known to consist only of boys, we find that there are about 6 boys to 5 girls, or more exactly 121 boys to 100 girls. The normal proportion of the sexes at birth at the present time in England is about 104 boys to 100 girls. It is in accordance with this predominantly boy-producing tendency of families yielding men of genius that the families yielding women of genius should show a predominantly girl-producing tendency. Here, indeed, our cases are too few to prove much, but the results are definite enough as far as they go. Putting aside that families consisted only of girls, the sexual ratio is almost reversed. There are about six girls to five boys or more exactly the ratio of 79 boys to 100 girls. We find that among the children of parents producing an eminent man, there are 55% boys to 45% girls. 
Among the children of parents producing an eminent woman, there are only 45% boys to 54% girls. Putting the matter another way, we may say that, while in every ten families from which men of genius spring, the boys predominate in six families, and the families from which women of genius spring, the boys predominate only in about three. Ansel found in England, as has Gessler in Saxony, that there are normally a larger number of boys in large families than in small families. In families of one to five children, he found the proportion of males to females, 1,033 to 1,000. In families of six to ten children, 1,075 to 1,000. In families of 11 children over, 1,083 to 1,000. It will be seen, however, but that this tendency is by no means sufficiently marked to furnish a sufficient explanation of the large predominance of boys in the families producing eminent men, nor will it account for all but their apparently large excess of girls. This, however, being based on only a small number of cases in the families producing eminent women. I may add that while not an all-sufficing explanation, the tendency pointed out by Ansel is evidently a real factor in this peculiarity among the families producing men of ability. I have found it holds good within the limits of the families producing men of ability. Taking at random 25 families with five or fewer children, I find that the girls are in an absolute and decided majority, while in another series, taken equally at random, of 25 families containing eight or more children, males are to females to the proportion of 130 to 100. It is possible that some light is thrown on the prevalence of boys in large families by the facts observed among animals. It is believed by many authorities that excess of maternal nourishment tends to produce females, and it has also been found that mares over 14 years of age tend to produce colts. Veterinarian, 1st of August, 1895. In large families, maternal nourishment would tend to be decreased by much childbearing. It is noteworthy, although I have not systematically investigated this point, that the interval between the birth of the eminent person and the previous child is often very short. Yoder, who especially attended to this point, found that in the 26 cases in which the point could be ascertained, the interval was 22.87 months, while the average time in the family for 30 cases was 25.36 months. This suggests that it is possible that the maternal exhaustion which tends to produce males also tends to produce children of eminent ability. It may be said on the whole that this excessive boy-producing tendency of the families which produce men of genius is really the result of the combined action of a number of factors, each of which, occurring separately, tends to produce a slighter but still abnormally large excess of boys. Not only would it appear that large families and families which the children follow very rapidly tend to yield a large excess of boys, but observations on man and other animals indicate that an undue excess of males is also found when the age of the father is unduly advanced. See, e.g., a. J. Wall, Lancet, 1897. When the age of the mother is unusually advanced, when the disparity of age between the parents is unusually great, and when the parents live in the country and are occupied in country pursuits, all these conditions which favour the production of boys have also, as we have seen or shall see, favour the production of genius in Great Britain. For a study of the facts and theories bearing on the excessive male births, see A. Rauber de Ubuschus and Neighbour Burton, Unsigned Biologisch Bedu Tongue, 1900. I have made a tentative effort to ascertain in what position in the family the child of genius is most likely to occupy. In a large number of cases, we are only told of his position as a son, not as a child. These are, of course, excluded. In order to investigate this point, I consider the families of at least eight children, and subsequently those of at least seven children, and noted where the genius child came. This showed a very abnormally large proportion of eminent first children, and also abnormally few second and third children. Suspecting that certain peculiarities of the biographical mind, needless to enter into here, since we are not investigating the psychology of biographers, may have somewhat affected this result. I have confined myself to a simple inquiry less likely to be affected by any mental tendencies of the biographers. In families of different sizes, what relation do eldest genius children and youngest genius children bear to genius children of intermediate position? The results are very decisive and are shown in the following table. A table is displayed on the page, with four columns, with the size of the family, and the position of eminent child as eldest, intermediate, and youngest. It would appear that there is a special liability for eldest and youngest children to be born with intellectual aptitudes, the liability being greater in the case of the eldest than of the youngest, for there are altogether 94 eldest children to 67 youngest children, the intermediate children numbering 148 or 30%, are eldest children, 21% youngest children, and 47% intermediate. 
It will be seen that while the eldest and youngest children of ability absolutely outnumber those of intermediate position, notwithstanding the large average size of the families producing children of ability, and the consequently much greater number of chances possessed by the intermediate children as a group, the chances of the eldest attaining eminence as compared with the chances of the youngest are not the same throughout. In the small and medium-sized families, it is the oldest who most frequently achieves fame. In large families, it is the youngest. It may be added that if we were to take into consideration the survivors of a family only, or the net fertility of the youngest children, would occupy a still more conspicuous position. The predominance of eldest children and youngest children among persons of genius accords with the results reached by Yoder in studying the international group of 50 eminent men. American Journal of Psychology, October 1894, page 146. He found the youngest sons occurred oftener than intermediate sons and eldest sons oftener than youngest. Galson and his inquiries as to the recent British men of science reached the same result, finding 36 intermediate sons, 15 youngest sons and 26 oldest sons. Galton, Englishman of Science, page 33 to 34. It must be added that this result is absolutely in accordance with what a consideration of other mentally abnormal groups would lead us to expect. Sir Arthur Mitchell appears to have been the first to point out many years ago, Edinburgh Medical Journal, January 1866, that among idiots the youngest born and especially the oldest born largely predominate over the intermediate children. He found that among 433 idiots and imbeciles, 31% were first born children and 20% last born. It will be seen that the proportion of eldest and youngest children among Mitchell's idiots and imbeciles is almost identical with the proportion found among British persons of genius. Langdon Down, Mental Affections of Childhood, confirmed this conclusion. As regards the tendency of both eldest and youngest children to be imbecile and Shuttleworth, British Medical Journal, 17th November, 1900, page 1446, has confirmed it so far as youngest children are concerned. Criminals have also been found to be in undue proportion first-born children. L. Winter, States Hospital Bull, 1897, page 463, as quoted by Nake. And Dugdale found that the first-born child tends to be a criminal, and the last-born a pauper. It would appear, C. E. G. Moll, under Schussenchen, Iber de libido sexualis. B. D. I. Page 19 that there is some ground for believing that sexual inversion tends especially to appear among eldest and youngest children. It may be added that, according to Sir J. Humphrey, in racing stables, opinion is not favourable as regards firstlings. It is interesting to find that the same points have been brought out as regards normal school children. This question was specially studied in its wider bearings at Professor Starbuck's suggestion by Mr. G. S. Wells among a large number of children at San Jose, California. G.S. Wells, A Study of the Order of the Birth of Children, 1901. I am indebted to Professor Starbuck for enabling me to see this study in MS. The children were investigated by trained observers, and their position notices regards weight, height, weight discrimination, reaction time, voluntary action, ability, endurance, mental ability, neatness, and deportment. In nearly all these respects, it was found that eldest children tend to show best, and the youngest children while inferior to eldest, were superior to intermediate children. Out of numerous curves, 14 show the first group highest, 6 the last group highest, and only 2 the intermediate group. The tendency to nervous abnormality in first-born children would seem to be further indicated by the observations of Miss Carmen, American Journal of Psychology, AP, 1899, that first-born boys are more sensitive as estimated by the Temple Algometer then second or subsequent children, and also found the first-born boys are strongest with the dynamometer. MacDonald, Boston Medical and Surgery Journal, 1st of August 1901, found that first-born men and women are more sensitive to pain than second-born. I may remark that I had been impressed 25 years ago by the tendency of men of genius to be oldest-born children, though I was not then acquainted with Galton's investigations. It appears to be a popular belief. H. Campbell, Causation of Disease, page 262, combats this belief, that the first-born child is inferior. Shandy said the eldest son is the blockhead of the family. On the other hand, there are popular beliefs in the other directions, thus in Northern Iceland, Zeitschrift für Ethnologie, 1900, Heft, 
two and three page seventy four is believed that the first-born child whether boy or girl surpasses the others in strength stature beauty wisdom virtue and good fortune and in olden times the oldest child possessed certain privileges not accorded to the others these conflicting popular beliefs are fully accounted for by the actual facts the eldest born represents the point of great variation in the family and the variations thus produced may be in either direction useful or useless good or bad whenever it has been possible i have noted the age of the father at the birth of his eminent child it has been possible to ascertain this in two hundred ninety nine cases and the data thus obtained may be considered as, as fairly free from fallacy so far as the biographical mind is concerned though we may be sure that the biographers would not neglect to mention the two or three known cases in which the age was extremely youthful or advanced the range of age is considerable from sixteen the age of napier of murchison's father at his son's birth to seventy nine the age of charles leslie's father the periods of potency in the case of the fathers of persons of eminent ability thus ranging over sixty three years the two hundred ninety nine cases may be grouped in five year average periods as follows a table is displayed on the page with four columns with the age of the fathers under twenty twenty to twenty four twenty five to twenty nine thirty to thirty four and thirty five to thirty nine forty to forty four forty five to forty nine fifty to fifty four fifty five to fifty nine sixteen over and is compared with the number of fathers and the percentages it will be seen that the most frequent age of fatherhood is from thirty to thirty four but there are two separate years of maximum frequency thirty four and thirty six each with nineteen cases a prevalence of elderly fathers seems indicated by the fact that the general average falls later than this maximum being thirty seven point one years for one father who begets an eminent child before the age of maximum paternity which is also we may assume the age of maximum general vigour there are nearly three who beget an eminent child when that age is past this result is the more significant when we remember that we are chiefly dealing with the upper social classes for it is in their cases that these facts are most easily ascertained and that we must probably exclude the recent tendency to retardation of the age of marriage i have thought that it may be of interest to separate from the main body the one hundred most recent of the eminent persons on my list all born in the nineteenth century and to consider how the ages of their fathers are distributed the result is as follows a table is displayed on the page with columns of age and number the most frequent age is thirty-four, but the average age is thirty-seven, being almost equal to the average for the fathers of the whole group, so that this factor in the biographical constitution of the genus group would appear to be fairly uniform throughout, and independent of social and economic changes, except that the age of the fathers has perhaps tended, in the course of time, to become slightly lower. Although this decrease in age is very trifling, it appears to be confirmed by the results yielded if we make a separate group of the seventy-one individuals born before the eighteenth century the age of whose fathers i have been able to determine the distribution is as follows a table displayed on the page with the age and the number the most frequent age here taking the years separately is as low as twenty five but on the other hand the average age is slightly higher than that for the general group being thirty seven point two it is possible that the slightly higher age very trifling as it is indicates a real tendency further we go back the higher becomes the intellectual average of the individuals we are dealing with and there is some reason to suppose that with such an average intellectual level the average age of the fathers is also higher and the range of variation is greater such trifling fluctuations would be negligible if they did not at all point in one direction i may refer to another indication which helps to confirm the conclusion that when we are dealing with a group of men of very high intellectual eminence the average age of the fathers is slightly higher than when we are dealing with a group of lower eminence on separating into a distinct group all those eminent men on my list are also included in the first three hundred i e the most eminent section of professor kettle's one thousand most eminent persons in history see ain't page eight we obtain a group of thirty-seven individuals who are without doubt of a higher level of intellectual ability than the general average of the british group the age of the fathers of the preeminent men in this special group is as high as thirty-seven point seven years the ages of the fathers of Galton's recent British men of science, in 100 cases, were distributed as follows. 20, 1, 25, 15, 30, 34, 35, 22, 40, 17, 45, 7, 54, 
The average was 36. The results as regards this group may very fairly be compared with the results reached concerning the contemporaneous group of 100 from my list, which has been severally calculated. It will be seen that in the more mixed and more eminent British group, as might be anticipated, the variations are greater. There are a larger proportion alike of younger and of elderly fathers. In Yoda's group of 39 fathers, the men of various nationalities, whose average eminence was of higher degree than mine, are much higher than Galton's. The numbers are too small to bear much weight. They were distributed as follows, with an average age of 37.78 years. Another table is displayed on the page with age range of 20 to 60. The most notable point here, as compared with either Galton's results or mine, is the marked efficiency of fathers under 30. It will be noted that the average age of the fathers in Galton's, mine, and Yoder's groups rises progressively, 36, 37.1, 37.78, with the intellectual eminence of the group. It may well be that this is not a casual coincidence. The tendency of the fathers of men of genius to be elderly had, as Yoder points out, already been noted by Lombroso. Man of Genius, page 149. According to Ansel, On the Brood of Mortality, etc., 1874, the average age of fathers of the professional allied classes, estimated as a length of a generation, i.e. the difference between the age of the father and son, is 36.6. .6. The average tells us nothing concerning the range of variation, but it may be observed that this normal average approximates to that obtained in the most nearly normal groups of ability we are here able to compare. I have no other data concerning the normal age of the fathers of the professional and upper classes in modern New England, and in any case, we could not be sure how far such data could be comparable with that presented by our group of eminent persons, which is spread over many centuries. The influence of the age of the fathers in various normal and abnormal groups of the population has been most carefully and elaborately studied by Marrow in North Italy in his Caratteri di Delinquenti and more recently in La Puberta. Manor regards fathers below the age of 26 as belonging to the period of immaturity. The period of maturity is from 26 to 40, and the period of decadence from 41 onwards. He found among the normal population that 9% fathers belong to the first period, 66% to the second, and 25% to the third. Among the fathers of criminals, there was an increase both the immature and decadent fathers at the expense of the mature. Well, among the insane fathers, there was a similar but more marked increase of immature and decadent fathers. In studying the age of the fathers of school children, Marrow found that while children of good intelligence are mostly the offspring of young fathers, those of the highest grade of intelligence are mostly the children of middle-aged and elderly fathers. He found also that the highest proportion of the very defectively intelligent children belonged to elderly fathers. Aristotle had long said before that the children of very young or very old people are imperfect in mind or body. We may slightly modify that ancient dictum by saying that the children of such people tend to be abnormal. I have only been able to ascertain the age of the mother in 86 instances. In these cases, it is distributed as follows. A table displayed on the page of the age of the mother, the number of cases, and the percent. The average age of the mothers is 31.2 years. Taking the years separately, we find that there are only three mothers at the age of 25 and only two at 26, or there is a sudden rise to 10 at the age of 27 representing the chief maximum. There is, however, a secondary maximum of eight cases at 30, and again also of eight cases at 33. On the whole, it will be seen, the ages of the mothers exhibit the same tendency to late parenthood, which marks the fathers. Instead of falling earlier, as we should expect, the age of maximum frequency for the mothers falls in the same five years as for the fathers, and the number of mothers who have reached the sexually advanced age of 40 is nearly as large as a number as those below the age of 25. This is the more remarkable since the predominant tendency of our men of ability to be first-born children will lead us to expect a corresponding predominance of young women among their mothers. In Galton's 100 cases of mothers of modern British men of science, the average age was 30 and the distribution was as follows. Tables displayed on the page with the age groups for under 20, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 and 45. It will be seen that in my list of mothers of British persons of ability, the intellectual eminence being greater than in Galton's, there is a comparative deficiency of young mothers, indeed for all ages under 35, and a very marked excess of elderly mothers. While the average age also is higher than in Galton's, Yoder found the average age of the mothers in his group to be 29.8.
but he is only able to bring forward 20 cases. Marrow, in his study of the ages of the mothers of North Italian criminals, insane, schoolchildren, etc., found that the relations that existed between the different groups were very much the same as in the cases of the fathers. The influence of the age of the parents on their children as regards various kinds of mental and nervous ability has been investigated in California by Mr. R. S. Holloway, and I am indebted to Professor Starbuck for enabling me to see Mr. Holloway's study in M.S., The Age of Parents, Its Effects Upon Children, a thesis presented to the Department of Education, Leland Stanford Junior University, 1901. It was found that while in most physical quantities the children of mature parents tend to come out best, in mental ability the children of young parents tend to show that at an early age but rapidly lose their precocity. The older children who show best tend to be the parents of mature and old parents. The exceptionally brilliant children show a tendency to be the offspring of old parents. The children of elderly mothers show a tendency to superiority throughout. Ansel found that the normal age of mothers in British professional and allied class, estimated as length of a generation, is as high as 32.3 years. But in the absence of information as to distribution, we cannot determine the significance of this result. Among the general population of poor class, Collins, practical treatise of midwifery, found the most frequent age of maturity in Ireland, where early marriages are common, was between 25 and 29, the average age being 27. In Edinburgh and Glasgow, however, Matthews, Duncan, Fecundity, Fertility, Stability, and Allied Topics, 2nd edition, 1871, found the average age in a similar class of the population to be above 29, the distribution being as follows. Tables played on the page with the age groups and percentages. If the age group has below 20, then 20 to 25 to 30 to 35 to 40 to 45 and 50. It will be seen that this distribution closely corresponds with that of the mothers of Galton's men of science, but shows much fewer cases as the higher ages than does my group. The conclusion that among the parents of our men of genius, there is an abnormally large proportion of elderly mothers is confirmed by the normal data furnished by Robertson, J. Robertson, Essays and Notes on the Physiology and Diseases of Women, 1851, page 183. He found that among 10,000 pregnant women in Manchester, only 4.3% were over 40, i.e. were at least in their 41st year. From a consideration of these various groups of data, among the mothers of highly intellectual children, there would certainly appear to be the same deficiency of very young mothers, and there is a side excess of elderly mothers. If, as we may conclude, from the marked prevalence of first-born children among our British people of ability, this tendency to a somewhat average age of the parents is associated with late marriages, we perhaps have here one of the factors of prevalence of an excess of boys in the families producing eminent men, since, as Alfield has shown, Arc 1, Gynach, 1876, B.D., 9, page 448, there is a gradual, though not altogether regular, increase with age in the proportion of boys among primipare between the ages of 28 and 36. So, that while for the earlier age there were at Leipzig 110 boys to 100 girls, at later age there were 190 boys to 100 girls. It may be noted that in at least 44 cases, the mother was a second or third wife. This group is a somewhat distinguished one, including F. Bacon, R. Boyle, Bunyan, Byron, Chaucer, S.T. Coleridge, and Rayleigh. The list is certainly very incomplete. In at least nine cases, the father was a second husband. It is instructive to compare the ages of the parents and to ascertain the degree of disparity. I have only been able to do this in 71 cases. There is a marked tendency to disparity which ranges up to 49 years. In 55 cases, the father was older. The distribution of the various degrees of disparity may be seen in the following table. A table is displayed on the page with two rows, amount of disparity, and number of cases. The average amount of disparity for the whole of the 71 cases is as high as 7.7 .7 years. It will be seen that the number of cases in which the disparity was at least 10 years is equal to a proportion of over 26%. According to Ansel, the main difference in ages of husband and wife among the professional classes in England during the 19th century was 4.16 years. Before 18, it was only 3.89 years rising to 4.42 years after 1840. This rise is doubtless connected with the accompanying rise in the age of marriage. It will be seen that the degree of disparity in the case of the parents of eminent British persons is nearly double that of the normal average before 1840, with which only it can be compared. 
The distribution of the different degrees of disparity is not seen from Ansel's tables, but the frequency of high degrees of disparity in age among the parents of eminent British persons is evidently extreme. In Budapest, the table given by Kororsky, though not strictly comparable with the present data, shows that if we take men at ages between 26 and 30, covering the most frequent normal age of marriage in only 3% cases is a discrepancy of age as much as 10 years. A similar tendency to unusual disparity of age in the parents is found among the nervously abnormal groups. It is so, for instance, among idiots. Some 15 years ago, late Dr. Langdon Down, at my suggestion, kindly went through the notes of 1,000 cases of idiots who had been under his care, and found that in 23% cases there was a disparity of age of more than 10 years in the parents of the idiot child. The disparity in many cases being more than 25 years. Disparity of age in the parents is also, as Marrow has found, the Puerta, page 259, unusually prevalent among criminals. Among the parents of North Italian school children, he found that the normal proportion of parents, both belonging to the same stage of development, immature, mature, decadent, is 70%. Among the parents of North Italian criminals, it is only 63%. It has occurred to me as possible that the tendency to disparity of age may be one of the factors in the marked prevalence of boys. As, however, it has only happened that in a comparatively small proportion of cases, I have exact data regarding the respected number of boys and girls in the families of parents in whom the exact amount of disparity is known. It has not been possible to test this point with any certainty. So far as figures give any indication, they indicate that if disparity is a factor in the sexual proportion of the offspring, it can only be so in a very slight degree. On the whole, it will appear, so far as the evidence goes, that the fathers of our eminent persons have been predominantly middle-aged and to a marked extent elderly at the time of the distinguished child's birth, while the mothers have been predominantly at the period of the greatest vigour and maturity and to a somewhat unusual extent elderly. There has been notable deficiency of young fathers and still more notably of young mothers. End of section 4